We build connections through relationships, a necessary part of the human condition. And throughout this journey, we become ever more authentic versions of ourselves. What are your relationships like? Do they strengthen you? Do they make you tired? Do you question them? The beautiful and the ugly? We are Marjorie and Aijin. Our connection grew when we found out that we were both expecting around the same time. Our children, Rami and East, drive many of our conversations about cultivating healthy relationships with self and community. We are Haitian and American, and much of our worldview is shaped through this lens. Tisha's Ba is a Haitian Creole expression that means, pull up your little star chair and listen. This is our intentional way of facilitating growth and increasing our capacity to show up. We believe this is only possible by challenging ourselves to move beyond, to assess our love for self, love for country, our native tongue, community, and cousins everywhere. Are you ready to take this journey with us? Let's enact something new through conversations about the state of us. La Val. Take a seat. This is Rami and East Tichesba. Mommy. Oui, mon amour. Baby, is 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 hi everyone this is Marjorie and Regine we are um episode three of Rami and East Tis Chesba. Um, today's episode, we are talking specifically about the trauma of leaving Haiti and the way in which our um, worldview is shaped based on our American and Haitian experiences. So we're going to tap into a lot of conversations about trauma. So this is going to be a rather difficult and layered conversation. So get yourself ready. You might need to take some notes. You might feel a little bit triggered, might need to meditate afterwards. We understand and we are going to be doing the same. So we are here for you Definitely. and let's get to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the meditation, the journaling. Um, yeah. Yeah. How old were you when you left Haiti? I was 17. Okay. So you were, you were a full-blown, just about adult. I was one in some change. So East is, is older than me now than when I was, when I left Haiti. Mm -hmm. And how was your experience when you, when you, when you transitioned to the U.S.? So it's interesting because chronologically I was 17, but in some ways I was developmentally just world experience wise. I think I was younger and older. I don't know if that makes sense to you mm -hmm. because I was very sheltered in Haiti in a lot of ways. Shel you know, just closed off on a lot of things. So that made me younger. And I also experienced a lot of trauma, a lot of complex trauma in Haiti. I've seen a lot of crazy things, heard a lot of crazy things. And that really made me go into a parent 
quote, almost, well, almost as if I had to parent and protect myself. And that made me grow up pretty fast. So it was the very, this duality about my Haiti experience in this age thing. So yes, I went to the US 17, but in some ways, I think when I got there, I was really 12 and I was also 24. Yeah. You know, that makes perfect yeah. sense. And, and I think that's very indicative of a lot of people that I interact with here is they're sheltered, of course. And so yeah. things like, you know, they weren't going to parties. They weren't like meeting, you know, boys or girls or whatever. Um, but at the same time, because they've seen so much like political insecurity, they've seen so many different things, they are a little bit more hardened. And so mm-hmm. they are a little bit more, I don't want, I hate the word resilient. I, I mm-hmm. cannot stand that word because we use it so much to describe Haitian people. And I, it always feels like we're resilient. So then you can just do whatever you want to us. Um, in, so I think it's very typical here and complex and probably typical and complex in, in many other environments uh, that it happens. Something that I, I think about when my experience leaving Haiti is that I was so young that there are mm-hmm. some traumas that I'd never developed, I didn't experience. And so when I came back to Haiti, I dared to do things that a lot of people my age would not do. Um, mm-hmm. For example, I didn't live through Kudetas. I didn't live through Kui and IT. I didn't live through all, so many of these things. So when I moved back to Haiti, it wasn't a big deal for me to do human rights work in Cité Soleil. Mm-hmm. And like everyone else who knew Cité Soleil was like, are you going where to do what? Like it was just, and they wouldn't, it wouldn't have even dawned on them to even talk about human rights because it was just so disconnected from what they experienced. And I, I think because of that lack of experience, I transition through and I do a lot of things that mm-hmm. a lot of other people won't do. So I think it's benefited me in, in a way because I there are some things that I'm just not scared of um, mm-hmm. because I didn't have the experience of that the batting happening because of x y and z uh so that's for me where I I see my trauma um it's like I I, I skid it and so I had like this beautiful opportunity to be able to do the kind of work that I do now because I I just I, I missed it but at the same time I heard so much about it from other people but because I was sort of like rebellious it just kind of felt like ah I'll do it anyways yeah yeah it's I think the way that we experience trauma in Haiti is it is interesting because there is a lack of denial. It's almost as if we are, you know, we're playing a game of football mm-hmm. <laughs> and then someone comes and they start playing soccer and you're like, no, wait a minute. No, no, we have to, we're playing football. And they're like, who cares? Let's just do soccer. But then if you continue playing football, it's, you can't, it's not sustainable. So all of a sudden you have to, neglect the rules that you think are right just so you can survive like so much about our dynamic is like a survivalist energy energy that i think puts us disconnects us from ourselves but Mm -hmm. also puts us puts us in a really bad space energetically yeah and it's that thing keeps, it's exhausting. Yeah. And it goes from one generation to the next. Yeah. And it keeps informing our culture. And it yeah. shows up in our carnaval. <laughs> it shows up in everything that we do. Yeah. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the roads. It's the, it's the school system. It's all of it. Because the internal stuff keeps being repressed, suppressed, and we're not dealing with stuff. Yeah. It's the, um, it's the dysfunction, the, the thriving. Yeah. The thriving or not thriving, believing that you can only operate within dysfunction. So I don't know if you had this Correct. experience here yet. 
Um, but every time, so I have a very lawyer brain, very lawyer brain. I don't know if it's from going to law school or I just, that's my default. I need things to be super logical. Like I would like, I'm just logical to a fault. I like straight lines. I like things that fit. I like things that, you know, whatever, but there's still some sort of, I'm trying to, let me try to give an example. Every time I try to formalize something in relationship to my business, I get a lot of pushback. Every time I try to formalize meetings, I get a lot of pushback. And so things like making lists, making checklists and having, you know, people sign off on it. Um, even things like when purchasing a house, getting people to like give you the, the papers, <laughs> every piece of anything that you formalize, people push back on. And in the yeah. formality, it's better for you and them. It allows both parties to thrive. Uh, it allows both parties for things to be clear. Contracts allow clarity. That's why people sign them. And it's just always so interesting to see this dynamic, even when something is good for the other contracting party, this pullback from actually signing it uh, or, or executing it. And it's, for me, what I've started to realize, especially this year with going through, like, I've bought property, I think, three or four times. This might be my fourth or fifth time doing it. Always the same thing. And it doesn't matter who the person is. Like, it could be... Honestly, it was easier for me to purchase property from 18 different families in an area called Southern Pedzi than it has been for me to purchase properties from somebody who is um, a middle-class Porter mm-hmm. Prince-based Haitian person. And it's just always so fascinating to me that we have decided that we must thrive or that we can function better in the dysfunction. And then as you were saying, it shows up in so many different ways. It shows up in the roads. It shows up in this ridiculousness that we do with Kanava, like who has the money, who doesn't have the money? Are we going to do it? Are we not going to do it? This year we'll do it in this place. This year we won't do it in this place. It's just always so political. And so it is so trauma fueled. And it's troubling to try to figure out how do you heal an entire population that has just never been able to get beyond the trauma of enslavement and all the things that historic historically we've been through yeah I as I'm thinking about something and I don't know if this is this will land but I think of like the crabs crabs in a pot or crab in a barrel barrel. crabs in a barrel syndrome or mentality is that we sort of we have to keep each other from getting to that higher place, even if it's to our own detriment. And I don't know, I think sometimes we are aware of it, but I think most times we aren't. We aren't yeah. Because settler, because white body supremacy or colonial, colonialism weaves itself into everything that we do and everything that we are. And so there's still this, there's this divide in Haiti between among the classes and we are each trying to survive. The one, the have, the haves who have it all are still functioning off of this survivalist mentality. Mm-hmm. The middle class is having a tight grip on where they are, but also needing to be on to be to mingle with the higher class or whatever the the rich and then we have the poor 
who are just trying to have food on the table. And so sometimes there is this internalized greed that works on all hands. It's not just the poor, it's not just the middle class, that's just just this. It's just this universal greed. And it, it translates into, I need to keep you down so I can manage how much I get. But oftentimes it's to our own detriment. Yeah. Like when you, t- you know, when you talk about this land situation and really when you wanting formality, that's actually helpful to all parties involved. Yeah. But this idea of transparency, of being seen is a threat to self. Yeah. And so I am going to just make your process harder yeah. because I don't want, I don't want to deal with this threat. I don't want to regulate this anxiety. Your formality is triggering inside of me. So I'm going to make life more difficult. Yeah, yeah, that is. A, a great way to, to frame it. And I want to also think about like this, this conversation about greed or if it's greed or if it's like um, a, a feeling that there's not enough, a lack of abundance. And so because there's a limited, there's a finite amount, I have to make sure I get X or I, it won't exist. It's it's sort of like after the pandemic was announced, everyone needed 9,000 pieces of toilet paper. Like nine, it gets like this, like, oh, it's not going to be enough. I don't, it's not going to be enough. And it's difficult to see and realize it because you then start to see and realize it in yourself too, which is part of the triggering. And I think mm-hmm. it's part of that that cycle that you're that you that we create here. Like this, you see it in somebody else, and then you see it in yourself, and then that makes it difficult mm-hmm. to work through. And so I'll I'll give an example. Like for example, I can describe to someone perfectly how I'm having issues with formalizing something in my business. And they're like, oh, it makes no sense. It's so much better if you do X, Y, and Z. Both parties would be better if you created a checklist. And the same person will make it impossible for me to sign a real property sale contract with them because they're doing the same thing. And I think at some point during the negotiation, they realized that they were doing it. And so they doubled down on it. And I, for me, I see it. And then I realize when I've done it, and then it it triggers you and then you start to double down on it again. And so myself, what I try to work on is realizing when I'm seeing it happen and being intentional about correcting it. Because what I, what I want to happen is I want to remove it as much as I can from myself so that I don't pass on too much to ease. And it's complicated to figure out how an entire society can do that healing. Um, especially when we have a hard time even saying that we have generational trauma or saying that we have trauma from enslavement or even just like the stories about how we had, we achieved our evolution, like people looking down on the fact that we quote unquote made a pact with the devil or it's, yeah, it's hard to figure out how we're going to, well, you're a therapist, Marjorie, how do we climb out of this hole? How does the entire system <laughs> climb out of this hole. And I know this is like a lot of the work that you want to do um, in Haiti, yeah. part of the reason you moved back. Um, you know, generational trauma feeds itself into a culture and weaves itself into a culture. And I think one of the way of that, one of the way of exploring, I'm not even going to say to, to get into healing, to explore healing is that we have to be 
radically truthful about the trauma. Like we can't be corrective if we aren't acknowledging the mess the that exists. And so that is a starting place to actually point to, to the chaos that we have created as a result of not putting our trauma at the forefront of our agenda. Yeah, yeah. So calling it what it is, is a good place. But... But that in itself can take, for some people, that can take years. It can definitely take years. And I think I only really started working on this and realizing it purposefully, I guess around the time when I got pregnant. Um, I sort of worked on it before, but not as intentional. Like I would realize it and I would I would just do that that really inappropriate thing where you're just like, oh, I realized it, but I'm just going to put it to this. I don't need to deal with it now. But then, you know, children give you urgency, like, yeah, you need to figure this out because you don't want your child to be early thirties and being like, you know, why do I do things like this? I should start to think, to work on it. And so you just want to give them the best yeah. opportunity to, to, to not have to do as much work to, to move, move forward. And this work is triggering because you can't look at trauma without with you, you can't look at generation generational trauma without also looking at how you are mimicking mm-hmm. internalized racism oh yeah in your life mm-hmm. right and so that is scary for yeah. a lot. I mean, it's scary for me that's a, that's scary for a lot of people to oh, think yeah. that oh wait a minute I'm part of this. I'm yeah. part of this, this I've created yeah, I've, this. I've, I've benefited from this. Yeah. I benefited from this. Absolutely. Yeah. And when we don't though, when we don't, if we don't move towards this intentionally, our actions become even more harmful mm-hmm. to the very people that look like us Yeah. to us, yeah. to our own children. Yeah. And then I, I think, I think most intelligent people, or I don't know, a good percentage of intelligent people realize when it's happening. And I think that's what's so triggering. And that's what makes it so difficult to heal. It's like realizing that it's wrong and then still doing the process. And then the guilt and the shame that comes with still doing the process. And I see that cyclical movement here a lot. And I mean, I see it in the US too. I mean, I, 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 one thing I don't want us to, people listening to think is that we don't realize this doesn't happen in other countries or right. it does. Absolutely. This is our, our ex- everyday experience that we're, we're talking through. Um, it, the internalized racism is interesting, especially when it crosses over into classism and colorism. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people ask things like, why are, why is a Black Lives Matter movement happening? Like people in in (laughs) Haiti. And I'm like, what? Or I hear the opposite. It's so wonderful that Black Lives Matter is is taking over the U.S. And then like in the next sentence, I'm so tired of people protesting their living conditions in Delma. And I'm like, (laughs) what? (laughs) So it's, yeah, it's that like disconnect that is always so fascinating. And what I'm what I'm trying to push myself to do now is when I recognize it in somebody else doing it, like I, I turn it back on myself and being like, okay, how do I do mm-hmm. it? And then trying to sit with it to work through that 
process. And I'm not very good at it. Like I, I just like sit with it and I just like try to do like some basic writing things down and then being purposeful and intentional when I do it to stop doing it. But I'm sure like, what do you do when you see yourself doing it? Um, when I see myself do it, I get quiet. I, I just stop talking and I just go into myself. Like I'm a very emotional person and very much in touch with all the movements in my body. So when I see myself mimicking the thing or things that I'm really working to heal from, I just get quiet. And I think the silence sometimes is shameful. It's like, oh my God. And also it's giving myself grace to pause and really have some reflection on how I can be corrective. Yeah. So it's like, it's these two things happening. It's, oh my God, Marjorie, you should know this by now. Oh, why are oh, you doing this again? But then I also have to give myself grace. Yeah. yeah. Because this is rooted in, I mean, this is like years, generations. So there's no way that there's no, ex I don't, I no longer have this expectation that I have to overcome this. It's not a, a thing of overcoming it's not a thing of good overcoming bad. It's mending the hurt. It's being aware and it's being intentional about being corrective moving forward. Yeah, that's a great way to frame it. Uh, I think type A++ is like me, always want to fix something and get it done. But yeah, you're right. You could, this is something you spend your life doing and you have to be okay with the fact that you're not gonna overcome it and to not frame mm -hmm. it as overcoming, but you're going to look to being purposeful about it, being intentional about it, being more healthy about yeah. it and, and growing in that, in that sense. But I, I guess <laughs> that takes us back to our questions when we first started is this, I, something that's interesting about the trauma that I think that comes from leaving Haiti is that like if you, like somebody immigrates from, usually if they immigrate from like, you know, Britain to the US or like Australia to Canada, they're doing it because they're like, oh, that's a cool place. I want to go live there. But, you know, Haitians, especially our generation, they were running from something. Like people were immigrating to find something else that's better. And what's awful for me, I think about the black diaspora is that we have been moving to another place in search of something better for so many generations. And I don't think we give credit enough to how that affects us. Particularly, I'm just thinking now of, okay, so you're, in, you're an enslaved African and you wind up in the Caribbean. And then generation after generation, there's something that happens in the Caribbean that makes you move to a different place. And then you're in the US being treated the way black Americans are treated in the US. And now you're in the middle of this Black Lives Matter movement, you're in the middle of all of these things that might seem very reminiscent to what you maybe ran away from or were experiencing in the 80s. And I keep thinking that until we start to name mental health as something that we should be concerned about, we just have these people that are experiencing all of these patterns and patterns and patterns of the trauma of leaving and relieving without working through them. And how does that shape your worldview? Especially when you use like casual words around your kids as they grow up about mm -hmm. how they should view things. And I, I think about that often about what I heard about what it meant to be 
living in Haiti or what I heard about what it is to be Haitian. And now seeing, particularly with my stepkids, what they say about what they think it means to be Black American and like this idolization of what it looks like in the U.S. And then in the U.S., you have what the Black Americans are experiencing and what is the idolization of trying to go back to the homeland. And then just, and I'm not saying either one is right or wrong, but it's a lot for so many generations to carry so much of this burden moving forward. And yeah, how do we, yeah, how do you manage that? Especially in um, your parenting and how to not to be selective in how you parent. I, I think a lot of parents will selectively leave out the bad things just to like not bother their children with it. And then if yeah. your kids are curious, they go seek them out themselves. Yeah. I think there's also, you know, trauma looks differently or, the, or there may not, it may not be traumatic depending on the reason why you live in your home, you um, leaving your home country, your home, Haiti, let's just say Haiti, mm-hmm. uh, because someone might be leaving here and because they're going to college, right? Um, they, or they've always sort of gone back and forth between the U.S. or Europe and Haiti. And so now they're done with high school and then they're going to college. Um, someone might leave Haiti because they have taken a, come mm-hmm. right? And that's a very traumatic experience. Yeah. Somebody might be because their parents filed for them. Like in my case, my mm-hmm. dad filed and he wanted me to wait until I was old enough um, to leave Haiti so I could be sent, cent- I guess, centered in the Haitian culture. Mm-hmm. And you leave because you just want to get the heck out of here because you cannot deal. deal you cannot the eat yeah. the ridiculousness, the all of it. So I think, so when we leave Haiti, we also move with the trauma. And so we think that leaving Haiti is somehow going to make things better for yeah, us. It's going to fix everything. But in what way are we sustaining that trauma from wherever from our um, from wherever we are? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, so mm-hmm. no, no, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was so just... I, and I was just no, go ahead. This is, this is the the downside with being excited about a topic. Um, and I just wanted to mention the the mass exodus that happened. When was it? The years all blur together here. I don't know if you have this problem because it's always hot. I use I never realized how much I use the seasons to determine what time of the year something is. So I can never like fully remember. Three or four years ago, there was like a literal mass exodus out of Haiti of the youth, and they were all going. They're going south. And it just stopped mm-hmm. because of the pandemic, Brazil, Suriname, mm-hmm. and, and it's not—I mean, not necessarily countries that are like that much yeah. better, but it, they just wanted to get out. Mm-hmm. And everyone is obsessed with it still. Everyone just wants to get out, and it's interesting or not interesting. It's troubling. I think it's the word is troubling because we want to get out instead of try to fix or instead of try Mm -hmm. to make it better. And I know I see this with an abundance of privilege that I can talk about making things better or working on things for the better. But it's always disheartening to me for people to think that they just can't make where they are better. 
they have to leave. That's the only option. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go back to the classic crabs in a barrel mentality, but then from a different perspective, because at first I talked about how, you know, we have to keep each other from getting higher, um, from thriving. But the question that arises for me is, a crab's natural habitat is not to be in a barrel. Yeah. So, so maybe we're not, maybe we've been making a mistake looking at, a, at the crabs in the barrel. Maybe we have to look at the system, the people or system who've created this barrel because somebody with power, white people, <laughs> somebody with power decided that it would best serve them to have people in this barrel because if the people if people are divisive then we get to maintain the power we get to have the power so in terms of haiti's infrastructure when you look at the rich right they are the people with the power they are the movers and shakers of haiti in a lot of ways and so for them even themselves, they are in this, they've created a barrel for themselves as well. Mm -hmm. Because even within the, within the rich, they're still playing the sort of, I got to be higher. I got to have more of this. And in order for you to be higher, somebody else has to have less. Somebody has to have less. So we are sustaining this trauma. We are face to face with this trauma and we are traumatizing ourselves and the people around us. Yep. And we are using systemic, this generational trauma almost as a, a badge of honor. Yeah. To continue to preparate or even like a defense mechanism. A defense mechanism, yeah. It's so how lot. much responsibility are you taking for this problem? Like yeah. not, when I say you, I'm just talking about we. Yeah, yeah, we. Like how much responsibility are we taking for this problem? Yeah, there's, it seems overwhelming. And then I go mm -hmm. back to what can I do? What am I able to do? What do I have to do? I know at the very least I have to show up and instill something greater than me in this upcoming generation, which is I do through my daughter. But also I feel even more intentional now, which I didn't feel before about making sure I, I did feel before. I mean, I moved back to Haiti with these, this one idea that changed into another. And now I am, anyone who knows me knows I'm super passionate about agriculture. I'm super passionate about business in Haiti. I'm super passionate about economic development, creating jobs. I just think everything we have here is so awesome that the world should be envious and enjoying it and we should be prosperous and thriving off of it. But I feel even more so now being a mom, I feel that I have to make the world a little bit better for her. Even if it's just the tiniest better, I have to do something that is more purposeful than what I have been doing. And trying to figure out what that is through her eyes has been a very beautiful experience. And so you just learn all these new things, like I, like the new, the songs that kids here learn. You learn about like the different interactions that they have and 
toddlers just like they're like little mini life coaches because like they celebrate the tiny wins which allows them to get better like they don't like if they take one step and fall they clap and then that allows them to like yeah. feel invigorated to be able to take two steps if i just take one <laughs> tiny step i don't clap for myself i'm like ah i should have taken 10. but just like seeing her do that makes me realize I need to clap for myself, even if I take a tiny little hair step forward so that I can have the energy for the marathon. And that mind shift change has been very instrumental in being able mm -hmm. to chug through business here because it's so, I mean, I think we're like 167 or something on the list of like, there's like only like five countries after us on the list of doing business in, in the world. Like we're like, yeah the worst just about and that for me is how i connect a lot of what i experience here to parenting and being purposeful even my relationship with my family relationship with my husband relationship with myself all of these things it's just always magnificently fascinating how they continuously shift um with the way things are now and 2020 was an interesting year for sure um, because of what happened to the U.S. I think that made a lot of people, especially for me, it made me shift my thinking quite a bit. But it's how to be intentional um, yeah. in the work that you do because it's part of you being a whole person that shows up um, for your yeah. life and, and, you know, you put your goals forward. Yeah. And I think part of being in, in to, uh, to expand on that is part of being intentional is that we don't have to always take the energy that it present that is presented to us. So if we are going to be intentional about working through the, yes, it's it's hard. It's, it's a very it's hard, hard not thing to give to back do. the same energy that you get. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's, because you're like, uh, uh I am going to serve you the same energy. Yeah, you're going to get the this, same energy. Yes, I'm going to keep it. You, we're going to get all of this, whether you ask for it or not. <laughs> and so the cycle continues. The cycle of trauma continues because we're just going to extend the same energy that we get. And so yeah. somebody has to say, okay, let me just redirect this energy. But that's, that's, that also requires you being able to sit with the difficulties or the opposite feelings within yourself, the chaos, the chaos. and regulate. Yeah. yeah. Because and when someone, mm -hmm, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Finish your thought. When someone triggers chaos within us, we want to, we want to go off. Mm -hmm. But part of emotional regulation is recognizing, oh, Something about this person's behavior is triggering this in me. Let me attend to that. If we're making, if we're making self-love our foundation, I think it becomes, I'm not saying it, it makes it easy, but it becomes easier to not extend the same energy. Mm -hmm. Because when some things, when things are, when things are off within us, and if self-love is the foundation, then we want to attend to that. We want to attend to that part, to all those parts instead of quickly wanting to project onto someone else, we want to actually attend to the parts that we love so much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's powerful. And I think something else I realized years ago, because somebody else pointed it out um, on social media, like some days social media is very helpful. Um, 
she pointed out something about this group of people that were in in Haiti. We have the luxury of being able to work through that because we have peace, even if it's not all the time, even if we still have to deal with a lot of ridiculousness here, we can create peace. Like for example, this conversation that we're having, this is peace. We aren't trying to hustle to sell cans good. We're not hustling. Mm -hmm. There is, we have the ability to recharge and create peace so that we can do this kind of work that allows us to be able to respond to things differently. And if we have that privilege, do we not then uh, have to obligate ourselves to work for the others that can't get that peace so that we can create, like, doesn't everyone deserve to be able to heal the way that mm -hmm. we are trying to now? And how much of your healing happens because you create those same spaces and those same opportunities for others? And I was never interested in getting politically engaged or politically active, but that was a thought process for me that started to shift it. Somebody else can't leave and take like what I call a Haiti break. Somebody else can't leave and like, you know, to have a conversation with Marjorie where we go through these things and how much of that means that you have to show up for those other people because that not only is part of their healing, it's part of, it's essential for your healing. And if you want to mm -hmm. show up to be the best person, the best version of you in this one little gift you have called life, do you not have to? to do it for some, have to do that for somebody else. And that to me was yeah. like the most powerful shifting because I was like, and then I started to realize it in so many different ways. Like when my employees would show up a certain way, I would realize they're just always in chaos. And it, mm -hmm. it's, and you were the one who taught me this about the symptoms related to the gastrointestinal because it's like your second mm -hmm. heart, second brain. A lot of the times it's just like this trauma that is just not resolved. And so they would always have these, ailments that I could never understand. Like we're like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm like, what are you talking about? What does, or like my, my lung is cold, like I'm like, that's not a, what kind of illness is yeah. it? And I was always like, what is the translation of this in English? And I'm realizing it's anxiety. <laughs> and it's like, they have anxiety and they think it's, and they're pumping medication into themselves because, you know, they have a little bit of money, they're working. Mm -hmm but they're pumping like antacid and all these other things. And it's not going to help because it's, it's psychological. Yeah. And so I'm like, knowing this, and I want to leave this world a little bit better for East. I can't leave this world worse off and then be like, ah, you fix it. I feel duty bound to do something. And yeah. conversations like this, I think help us figure out what that something is. Yeah. Anxiety is energy, right? And it has to be released and shouldn't be avoided. And we do great work at avoidance here. Oh, gosh. Ooh, the avoidance, the avoidance, the avoidance, the avoidance, the avoidance. Like, people avoid so well that you end up giving up on something. Yeah. You're like, ah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And anxiety is also a secondary emotion that can come from childhood trauma. And how much trauma do we have? Are we wallowing? Are we sitting in here? So no matter how much medication you take or how much tea you drink, if we're not tapping into this space, you know, are we really doing something useful? Yeah, 
that's a a lot to to process and think about. Um, and I just want us to like come back to this question, this trauma fueled relationship view of our culture. Like, do we say it's kind of like when people are like, "Oh, diabetes runs in my family." I'm just like, "Does diabetes mm -hmm. run in your family, or does poor eating habits run in your family?" Yeah. Oh, like this, and it's like. When, there are so many things that we talk about as being like Haitian, like, mm -hmm. you know, like baton, like, like beating your kids or like, ah, oh, this is like, this is like, this is part of our culture. Is it, or is it like unresolved trauma or like this, like way of avoiding, ah, oh, that's Haitian. It's like, is it Haitian? I mean, I guess in a way it is because so many of us do it. Is it part of our culture or is it something else that if we were to tap into who we were in 1804, would we actually have thought that we would be doing this kind of behavior in 2021? Mm -hmm. And it's like that constant cyclical cult, cult of trauma of in and out, in and out, moving, just not healing. And yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot. And I mean, I always tell everyone that I think everyone should go to therapy, but I do. I think everyone should do some kind of therapy. Um, and a lot of these things you start to work through through doing that. Yeah, you know, we have to look at the we have to look at the conditions and the cards that people have been dealt with to be in such a position. And we also have to want more for ourselves than where we are. And when I say more, and I'm not talking about money, more in, energetically. Like there needs to be, I think, you know, when you, when hope is bleak, it's easy to just think where you are, that's it. Like I can't envision anything beyond that. But that's the beautiful thing about healing. Once you start to tap into your own healing, it's almost this new world starts to unravel right before your eyes. Yeah. And you just want more of it. Yeah. But the beginning of it is scary. The pressure is hard. And so that pressure that pressure cooker at the beginning makes you want to run away because you have to face yourself. And sometimes when you face yourself, you don't really like what you yeah. see. That's a lot. Thank you for sharing this with me. And for those of you that are tuning in who don't know this expression, there's this expression in Creole called tichezba. Um, and it just literally means like you take this little straw chair and you sit down and you listen. And uh, of course, we're doing a lot of talking now, um, but there's also some listening and some processing that goes along with it. Um, I think that's a good note to end on for today. Yeah, I'd like to leave some questions that if people are feeling triggered, that some things that they can process that can help them just process tonight or whenever they want is to think about what do you do when you're suffering? So it isn't just another episode of suffering mm -hmm. and how much responsibility are you taking or have you been taken for this problem? How much compassion are you showing yourself as you become face-to-face -face with your hand in your own suffering? You are not to blame for your past hurts. At the same time, think about ways that you're sustaining that trauma. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, everyone.